Welcome to the Michelob Ultra Golf Show with Jeff Kolpak on 740 The Fan and 107.3 FM. That's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! The Golf Show is presented to you by Michelob Ultra. Also brought to you in part by Fargo Park District Public Golf Courses, Barnesville Grocery, Moorhead Parks, Forest Hills Golf Course, and Wildflower Golf. Here it comes. Oh my goodness. seen anything like that now let's head to the first tee this guy's pretty good and here's your host jeff kolpak yeah let's get it going this is jeff kolpak this is the golf show on 740 the fan and 107.3 fm 740thefan.com is the web address coming to you from the gunnerson jewelers studio here in south fargo i think for the first time in like two months I'm not going to talk about the Masters. Well, <laughs> at least to start with, uh, Tom Hoagie has been. Uh, he, when you're on a roll with a show and you got content and and there's just a lot of stuff to talk about and certainly talk about Tom's qualification qualification and playing in the Masters, uh, it was just such a fun thing to talk about and such a fun event. But now we are going from a fun event to one of the fun guys I, I know in the business. Chris Larson is a head professional at Osgood. Chris, you made a you made a move, and over the over the winter, you probably walked across the ice of the Red River and and big voila. moves, big moves, yeah. So, uh, th- by the way, hey, thanks for having me. Really, Absolutely. really appreciate. It. This is always like the highlight. <laughs> uh, ser- I'm not joking. This is, this means the golf season is starting when I get to talk to Jeff. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. New gig this year and very very excited to get going over at osgood let's get into that right away because you had a great run at more country club you and chris hall were so good and chris is now the new head professional why did you make the move well you know so that's that was kind of the hot question right yep. I, I and i honestly i never saw myself moving from mcc that was that was home uh, my family was home there and uh so it was it was a super tough decision but the opportunity to go over to osgood and and you know as far as the golf course and and the fargo parks and the mm-hmm. things that they offer over there um it was definitely a family move uh mm-hmm. and you know i'm i'm pretty excited to uh to start public golf actually because a lot of the things that that we preach you know as a golf administrator is to you know we're we're trying to grow i hate saying this but it's grow the game you know is that cliche term and uh it really gives me that opportunity to practice what i preach and and making golf more accessible and providing programs and and doing things um where we're we're really making golf attractive to those that may not have access or an opportunity mm-hmm. to play golf. So uh, I'm very excited about that. I'm excited to own my own shop. We got yeah. you some swag. Yes. So uh, that that kind of stuff really uh, kind of it it, uh, it it's near and dear to my heart. All of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm excited to get going with this new gig. I'm wondering if the following statement is true, Chris. That and I see this in the coaching profession where most notably assistants move on because they want to experience something different. They want to see a different side of a, of a team or a program. They want to grow in some other areas. Is this kind of like that where you're seeing a different side of the business and it, and in golf, right? It's not really different, but sometimes it's, there's the little nuances are different. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're 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 still working with people. You know, there the there's a lot of constants there, but seeing it from a different vantage point is is huge. Um, I. Uh, my time at MCC was was a lot of um, administration. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the yep. front guy. I'm you know mm-hmm. doing a lot of uh, PR stuff and and uh, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, uh, and that that is definitely something that is much needed in the private club climate. But you know, now working with the public, I get to kind of shift gears, do a lot of player development type stuff that I'm really excited for. Okay. Uh, the loop out at Osgood, you know, I'm super a three hole loop. I'm super stoked for um, to be able to do some playing lessons and to provide uh, junior programming that incorporates both teaching and playing elements because that's something that oftentimes gets lost because we have access problems at virtually any golf course I've ever been a part of because you only have 18 holes unless you're lucky to have mm-hmm. you know something where you know you got 27 holes or you know in our case now we've got this we got this loop um, but to be able to teach kids on a very very nice practice facility chipping facility uh, short game area and then to say you know what let's go test it out let's go let's go put it on the loop and see how you fare out there and we can change yardages and stuff so um, if there's one thing from a player development perspective that I'm excited for it's really being able to harness that loop it's interesting you brought up the three hole loop because on my way over to the studio I was thinking about that and and Chris is one of the more imaginative pros in the business, uh, creative. You've done some things like scooters or whatever. And I'm thinking, I wonder what he has in mind with those three holes. What's spinning in your mind? What oh, are the man. possibilities there? So that I'm you're good at asking questions. Yeah, the uh, I'm not good at answering, but I can ask. Well, I'll try to answer that one. So, uh as far as the loop is concerned, you know, it's three holes. It was actually, when it was first designed, it was intended um, to not even be like the tees are in, in set spots. It was intended to be a horse course, you know, mm-hmm. like you go out and you're playing the golf version of horse where it's like, hey, let's start from here. Let's go hit it over to that green and and uh, see how many shots, like name that tune. How many shots can you get from here to there? Okay. Um, it became very, very popular. So then, you know, they're like, listen, we have to make sure that this has a, otherwise people are going to die out here, right? You're going to be <laughs> you're going cross country and stuff. But uh, the thing that I, I'm really excited for is the fact that, you know, what if you turn those three holes and you put different, you put multiple pins on mm-hmm. those green complexes? So maybe that first hole has has two pins, and the second, or I should say, A, two. B, and C, yeah. right? Okay. So A has two pins, B yeah. has two pins, C has two pins. You can, heck, even if you could do three pins, then you could turn that whole thing into nine holes, and you could change up the teeing positions as well. So you could go out there and play the loop three different ways to three different pins. You could play nine holes and you could see how you progress through those three holes. So um, from a training facility standpoint, it, it really offers a lot of flexibility, which that's what we're all craving for mm-hmm. as, a, as a teacher and an instructor, is how can you how can you create something um, with a limited amount of resources? So, th- and I, that's one thing that I'm really excited for to test out is to be able to see, hey, what if we can kind of you know, create nine holes out of this three-hole layout. Yeah, yeah. So, where do you think of these things? Are you, are, I don't are, sleep. Are, are, yeah, don't you sleep. don't sleep. You're up no. middle of the night, two a.m. Because I'm there's times when when I always have a 
a, a pen and paper, a pad by my on, on my nightstand. Love that. For the reason is because I'll wake up at two, three in the morning every once in a while, and, and you're half asleep, and go, <laughs> I go, oh, that's a great story idea. Then I'll wake up in the morning and go. God, what 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 was that? I forgot. So it seems so good. My my question to you then is: yeah. if you do write it down, mm-hmm. can you go back to bed after that? Do you do you yes. in fact you do? Okay. Yes. Maybe that's what I need to start doing. I <laughs> seriously, gosh, I struggle with sleeping, but you know, I've heard that. I've heard people keep a notepad by them and they they write it down. So. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I learned that the hard way early in the career because I I did that all the time. Yeah. And I, I go, why did I not do that? I'm and taking that. I, yeah, I, I forgot. It was like a Pulitzer surprise idea, and then I, I wake up in the morning and I forgot about it. So, This is The Golf Show. This is Jeff Kopak on 740 The Fan. A couple minutes left with Chris Larson in our first segment here. Coming to you from Gunnarsson Jewelers Studio. What are you most proud of at the Moritz CC before we move on to Osgood here? Um, you know, the, we, we accomplished a lot of stuff over yeah. there. Yep. Um, you know, the membership was, um, gosh, a lot of that had to, honestly, I, I can't take credit for a lot of stuff. We had such a great team mm-hmm. uh, over there. And that's the people, you know, I'm, I'm most proud of, you know, what staff, the staff that we created and the team that we created. You know, we talked about Goose and, you know, how he got the role. I'm super proud of that. I, I can't take a whole lot of credit for that. Um, but I, he, I mean, he's just a quality individual. So the fact that he's moving into that role, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for his family. Um, and I'm excited for the membership because that membership is uh, going to really enjoy his leadership mm-hmm. in that in that role. So uh, that's I'm I'm very very proud of how maybe the the condition the club was left in when I when I left. That's that was always kind of a fear, you know, is if you leave and and the club's not in good hands, like you kind of feel like, man, I'm walking out on a you know a, a bum deal there. But they're gonna. Gosh, those guys it's are going to membership. Yeah, they're yeah. going to crush it for for a, a long time. So there's there's a lot of good things in place there. So I, I'd say that that's probably the thing I'm most proud of or um, excited for. You know, to see how that club can. Did go. Goose help write your resume and say, "Hey, I think there's a good job here" because I think I'm next in line. <laughs> you know, I as far as it's it was kind of weird because that's Goose started. He was at Osgood. He was at Osgood. Yeah. It's we're just all playing a big game of musical chairs right now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of movement in the off season, and I think, uh, regardless of where we all ended up, we're all kind of, we're all excited for everyone to see what happens. We're, as you know, as you're doing this show, you realize that this golfing community is just that. It's very tight knit. We're all buddies. We all root each other on, and uh, it's. It's a fun group of guys and gals to be a part of. Well, there's a reason that the pros around here don't leave, and that's obvious as you enjoy your jobs immensely. This is Jeff Kopak. This is the Golf Show. We're going to take a break. This is Chris Larson's in studio at 740 The Fan. We'll be back right after this. Backspin. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We are back. If you can do back sprint and hit down on the grooves, I think you're pretty good. Chris Larson is in studio. He's the head professional at Osgood Golf Course in Southwest Fargo. Just got the position. You have your own golf shop now, and what do you do? What are the possibilities? What's different about that? 
well, paying the bills is a little different now, okay. you know, so like I actually have to make sure that, you know, that's uh, those bills get paid. That's um, and as far as the what we get, what we stock in the in the golf shop, you know, I, I always had the I guess the um, the the finger on the button when it comes to the merchandise that rolled through the shop. But, you know, it it, it is a little bit different now. You know, it, it's real. Right. You know, because it's like when when you get this giant order coming through the shop and you're going Okay, this is all got to sell. We we have to make sure this all sells. Buck stops here, yeah, doesn't it? Exactly. Literally. So, um, but no, I mean, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Those people that know me, you know, it's uh, merchandise. I just, if I wasn't in the golf business, I'd be going out to like some some beachy town selling T-shirts out of a van. Like, I just get, I I love like t-shirts and graphics and being creative with merch and and kind of surprising people, you know, with like, whoa, you got this in here? Yeah, totally. So that's I'm having a lot of fun with the merch. So uh, this will this will be the telltale. If my wife needs new clubs, she bought pink clubs from Lisa at Osgood before. Walks in there and Lisa shows her is like, okay, that's a done deal. So I, when the time comes when when she needs new clubs and she walks into your shop, you need to sell her. If you show her pink clubs and and do your spiel, easy sell. Pink, pink, pink clubs, pink pink shafts. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. duly noted. Get, get that. Right. Get get those in there. They Got were, it. They were a hot hit. Is there a difference, Chris, running a nine hole course as opposed to an eighteen hole course? Yeah, obviously there's you know there's difference. There's access um, challenges that we run into, especially because Osgood is so. Stinking popular, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it is um, it is a hot place. So you know, you you got to get creative at how you can you know manipulate the tee sheet so you can get everybody out on the golf course as best you can. You know, we got we run really really busy uh, leagues between, gosh, senior women, senior men, uh, two leagues of men, uh, women's leagues, uh, junior leagues. You know, so it's it's super popular. Uh, so you know, when it comes to access, that's one thing that that's probably a little bit different. We just have less of it, um, and then you know the uh, just working with the general public. You know, um, we're we're public servants. You know, going from a public side or excuse me, a, a private uh, establishment to a public. You know, it is it is how we can serve the general public mm-hmm. now. So um, it's it's no longer about. Granted, we want to make money as as much as the next person, but it's really fun to be able to change gears and go, how can we make it more accessible? How can we make golf more approachable, inviting? Because that's we're the entry point now. We're no longer that and people kind of got upset with me a while ago when I said, you know, we could lose a thousand country clubs and and we can't lose one entry point. You know, we can't lose the Ponderosas. We can't lose those types of facilities because that's that is how we grow the game. Um, I've said that twice now. Grow yep. the game. Well, <laughs> speaking of grow the game, you have the ultimate growth element in that it's one of the best driving ranges in the country, I swear. Oh, it's, it's huge. When they built this course, and I can't remember who the architect is, but whoever designed this course did it right. My God, you're 
Dra- how, how f- it's Atkinson is the was okay. the designer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kevin Atkinson. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, sorry, what was your question? Well, the the driving range. Yeah. I mean, it's it's huge. Yeah. It's, what are the potential there? Yeah, big time. And we're actually getting we're we're improving that now too. I don't know if you know. How do you improve on something that's top notch? <laughs> well, so right now um, we are we are waiting for the weather to get a little bit better so that we we can actually put in our artificial T line. So uh, last fall, they had the Fargo Parks had the foresight to be able to put down a, a concrete pad. Mm-hmm. And you're right that that driving range is huge, right? So, but the whole length of that T now is uh, it's got a it's got a concrete pad across it, so that way we can lay down an artificial T line. Now we can play earlier and play later along with the fact that when we have those crummy days where you know Jeff goes out and wants to hit a bucket of range balls and takes out a you know a 2 foot by 2 foot slice of sod oh um, that never happens are you a, are you a sweeper or are you a are you a digger uh, i'm a sweeper okay good yeah, yeah. yeah. thank you for that appreciate yeah. that yeah. so but as far as our artificial t lines concerned we're going to be able to um, not have to worry about the impact that's going to have on the turf and we're going to be able to you know put people on that artificial t line plus as far as beginners and and groups and stuff that's where they should be anyway. It's it's much more. Uh, it's it's easier to hit the golf ball off an artificial mat. Um, they get that rebound. It pops mm-hmm. up in the air. Yep. Yay! Everyone's excited for that when the ball gets up in the air. Looking back at the growth of the game, we're there. <laughs> we're there <laughs> over the COVID pandemic. Are you still blown away by that? Shocked. Shocked. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're <laughs> two years ago. Guys, it two years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. Sitting in a in a budget meeting, and we're like, "Man, we're gonna have to blow this budget apart because we have no idea. Are we, are we gonna have golf this year? Are we gonna be able to do this? Uh, you know, only to find out that it just had the opposite effect. It the game just went just skyrocketed. So, uh, and we're still just riding that wave right now. People are excited to play. Um, more and more people are playing. We're selling clubs. It's just, it's. Uh, I hope we can ride this as long as we possibly can. And the other thing that we have to be, as golf administrators, we have to be super concerned with is is that it's still pretty fragile, you know? Mm-hmm. Just because you have this giant increase in playing... Uh, it can go away pretty quick too if we're not if 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 we don't get out ahead of our skis and yeah. and we say you know like we have to totally foster this growth and make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep these people in the game mm-hmm. so uh Anyways, I I am very very passionate with you know where we're at with the game and I and I hope that it just keeps on excelling. It's, l- it's like Seinfeld. You can take the reservation, but can you <laughs> hold the reservation? Can you hold these golfers? So true. And you know something's gonna have. I don't want to say it, but something will have to give because there's only so many golf courses, and you don't want to get into that situation that we got into the '90s where we had that golf boom. And then you know we built, we overbuilt, mm-hmm. so we will as as administrators have to get creative, because there's only so much grass, there's only so much golf course, and there's only so many days and and hours in that day to be able to uh, take those tee times. So, um, and the other part that we're battling always always has been 
how long golf is, right? So you go out there and play golf and you expect four hours. You always tell your wife it's four hours, right, to go play, you know, 18 holes. Um, but then it turns out to be six. You're going to have lunch, seven. Waiting at mean, the tee. Yeah. Right. So um, we have to figure out ways to to speed up that game and and make sure that it's enjoyable for everybody and that it's just not too restrictive. A couple moments left with Chris Larson. He's the head professional at Osgood Golf Course in South Fargo. If you've not golfed it and if you're new to the game, it's nine holes. You're not going to be out there six hours. It's a great track. It's beautifully designed. I love playing it. It's fair. And it's fun. It's really a fun course. And it's so different, right? It's different here, yes. Um, the the fact that we have a lot of undulation out there they had gosh they when they designed it it was super smart because it's not cookie cutter you know par 33 we got one par 5 but um it's it's undulating and you can play all sorts of different shots out there you're bumping it you're pitching it you're hitting over hills um so it's not if you if you put yourself right in the middle of that property you wouldn't think it's fargo no and speaking of kevin atkinson that's where golf course design has changed because that was flat land and in the old days you never thought about taking a flat piece of farmland and putting that much undulation in it and creating ponds. And obviously the technology has changed since then, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, you know, normally I would say, you know, the designs that I'm I'm drawn to are the ones that move the least amount of dirt. Now, we moved a lot of dirt out yeah. at Osgood when yeah. they, they designed it, but they had to. So the the fact that it looks so natural, right, when you're out there, but it's got all of these mounds and and, and hips and turns and stuff. Uh, they did a great job of shaping all of that and moving the dirt that, they, gosh, they had to move just a ton out there. I can't imagine. I mean, I, I just can't imagine the dirt that they had to change with mm-hmm. and move and, and create that. And that's a challenge. And and. and to have that vision, too, to be able to sit out there in the middle of that, that farmland and go... Yep. Uh, this is this is twelve holes of golf. Yep. Good luck on your vision at Osgood. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks Appreciate for coming it. In. That's Chris Larson. He's a head professional at Osgood. Stay tuned. This is going to be a cool thing coming up. Mike Morley is going to join the show. Who is Mike Morley? He is one of the most prolific golfers this state's ever seen. Mike has been retired for several years, and uh, I can't wait to talk to Mike. We'll be back right after this. I saw you slam your club in anger. And we are back. This is Jeff Kopak. This is the Gulf Show on 740 AM, 107.3 FM, 740 of the fan. Is the web address. Thanks again for Chris Larson for joining us in the first half of the show. Real treat to be joined by Mike Morley. Mike is uh, one of those guys who I followed as a growing up in, in the golf game, and, and as my father covered the the state in golf, uh, Mike was was a guy he covered a lot and wrote a lot of stories about. Mike has uh, been retired from the game for a few years, but uh, has uh, been involved, I think, in golf uh, a little bit after that, and, and uh, pleased to be joined by Mike. Thank you, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Well, what are you doing? Give us up to date on uh, what's going on with you. Well, I uh, moved back to Minot about uh, 15 years ago, and uh, I've been in the oil business since then. And uh, I'm uh, just a weekend golfer anymore. <laughs> How are you playing? Can you still hit them? 
Yeah, but I uh, I play I play on Tuesdays on Wednesday, and that's that's about it. My my back isn't too good anymore. I want to start, Mike, um, and there's so many places to start with you as far as uh, an entry point here, but I want to go to the to the Quad Cities Open because we were talking about Tom Hoagie, and your name's been mentioned a lot in recent months, and especially since February, since Tom won the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, the first North Dakotan to win a PGA Tour event since you won Quad Cities in 77. What comes to mind of that tournament when you think about it? Well, I'd been uh, close a bunch of times and I finished second the week before so I was I was uh, playing pretty well and uh, I, I just it just all kind of came together that week mm-hmm. I'd uh, I think I'd finished second five times before that and uh, and it just all of a sudden it just happened you know I, I, I dug up an, uh, an old article from 1977 on a tournament and you started that tournament almost you know fledgling with making the cut then you got hot and uh came back and in uh, 66 on sunday you had four straight birdies on the back nine to win the tournament i mean that's that's got to be that that's tough to do so uh that had been a highlight i would imagine well it was, yeah it was pretty exciting i i think i shot 64 the day before so so uh the last uh, 36 holes were pretty good and here's something and uh, such a, a difference in the game today from from 1977. Do you remember how much you won then? Or I'll tell you, twenty five thousand dollars for that PGA Tour right. victory. I won the um, the at Hattiesburg in 1972, and I won seven thousand dollars. Yeah. So uh, yeah, things have changed a little bit. Does that when I excuse me when I yeah. first started playing the when I first started playing the tour, the tournaments were a hundred thousand dollars total purse. Right in in nineteen seventies, so things have changed quite a bit. <laughs> Do you ever wonder what if? I mean, if in today's world you'd be two three million dollars, and I'll give you an example in seventy seven, the stats show you entered you made the cut in twenty one tournaments, you had nine top twenty five finishes. You had five top ten finishes, Mike, on the PGA Tour. That's like two, three million dollars, maybe more today. Sure, but that—that's uh, the nature of uh, what the game was in those days, and mm-hmm. we were—we were just real happy to have something to do. These guys today—they uh, don't last as long as we did because they're, the, the competition is much greater out there now. Okay. So their career might only last for four or five years and and they get recycled back out so so somehow i hung around for 15 years which was uh a few years too many really <laughs> but where did where did you first figure out that you had the ability and the talent to to, to to make the top end tour was it as a young kid or high school where, where did that all start well i don't know exactly where it started but you know i played in north dakota quite a few times and I won about 35 uh, I guess I won 35 amateur tournaments around mm-hmm. different places and uh, I don't know I, I just it's kind of like uh, going off a diving board when mm-hmm. I when I went to the player school you just dive off and try to swim your way out yeah and uh, I took a few years to kind of learn how to how to do it and uh, to get good enough when I when I got out of college I was a first team all-american but but we only played in about five college tournaments all year 
That's know, it. Now, huh? these kids, now these kids play in 20, 25 tournaments, hmm. and uh, they're pretty seasoned by the time they come out of college to go right on the tour. We, we, had, uh, we had to take a little more time to learn all the different things on how to be good. You were no slouch in college, though. Arizona State, first-team All-American, 68, set an NCAA yeah. championship nine-hole record of 30, 600 par, and lost Crucius in 67. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good stuff. Um, well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, here's here's what I, I think this is really cool, Mike, and you may not know this, but uh, you look in the Arizona State Hall of Fame website in the, on the, in the golf section, you're right below Phil Mickelson. So Phil Mickelson inducted 2002. You were inducted in 1983. That's that's pretty cool to be in the in the same breath as as some of those players, isn't it? Right. Well, we had when I got to Arizona State, I, I was fairly intimidated because we had the number one amateur in the United States there, and uh, then we had uh, uh, the Arizona amateur champion was another guy and. Uh, you know, I was just kind of a hayseed from North Dakota, <laughs> so so uh, I was reasonably t- intimidated. But uh, it took time to <laughs> took time to uh, get the hayseed out of me, I guess. What was the strength of the golf game for the hayseed from North Dakota? What were you good at? Well, when I was really good on the tour, I, I was a good ball hitter. I. Uh, I had taken lessons from a guy named Joe Nichols, and he taught me how to how to uh, play tee to green, and uh, that was uh, that was uh, about the best thing. So I, I, my swing didn't uh, ever deteriorate too bad. I mean, I might I got nervous and whatever, but I could still perform. And uh, I, I wasn't a great putter, but uh, I learned how to be a good putter after I left the tour. Hmm. So it really didn't all come together totally, but uh, I'm glad to have the experience to do it. And uh, I, my biggest problem on the tour was when I get close to the leader, it had the lead. I I could couldn't make a bunch of birdies and just take the tournament over. Mm-hmm. So as a result, I finished in the top three like 12 times or whatever, but I couldn't uh, quite get it done mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what it was and I, I, because i i won uh i think i won 37 other pro tournaments yep right. I, I have a, i have a list of some i mean a lot a lot of state opens like a couple times in arizona a couple state opens in wyoming and a couple of north dakota and three in minnesota and all, all around i didn't have trouble winning in it when it came to those but i I had a little trouble winning when it came to the tour. Were there some minor tours in too? Like, like now you have the Web.com tour for the the, the step below the PGA tour. Were there some minor tours uh, that you had that you no, entered? No, no, there there really wasn't. Uh, but there there was a couple lesser tournaments, like like when I won the Magnolia tournament, that was opposite of the Masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won a Shreveport, and that was a uh, opposite of. Some other invitational okay. tournament. I, I can't remember, but, right? Right. But one of the biggest kicks I get is uh, I get a bunch of buddies, and every time the Masters come up, I tell them, uh, you know, I played there the first time 56 years ago. That <laughs> 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 seems like a lifetime ago. Mike Morley is the guest on the golf show. This is Jeff Kopak on 7:40 a.m., the fifth largest a.m. signal in the country. Mike just brought up the Masters. I want to get into the Masters. He also played in the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. We'll talk about those. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. 
Don't look at that brook with your sweet book. You ain't gone in there. I put money on it, but honey, hold it. There's something in the air. We are back. Final segment. This is the Golf Show. Jeff Kopak on 740 AM as presented by Michelob Ultra. Mike Morley is the guest. This is the Golf Show on 740 AM. The fan. Mike played in 288 career events on the PGA Tour. Made the cut in 213 of them. Played in three majors. Played in the PGA. Played in the Masters and U.S. Open. The first North Dakotan to play in the Masters. He was followed by Mike Podolak in 1986. And, of course, Tom Hoagie just a couple of weeks ago. Your thoughts on the Masters, Mike? Oh, I watched the tournament. Yep. I, I've never met Tom, but he's he must, he's a good player. Yep. What is it about coming from a state like North Dakota, and you you spent most of your your growing up years here? Does it is it just a population? Is it not playing all year round, or why is it uh, such a hurdle? I think the biggest hurdle is not playing all year round. Mm-hmm. I uh, actually moved to, to uh, La Jolla, California, when I was a senior in high school. My mm-hmm. parents got divorced, and. Uh, my mother and I moved out to La Jolla, California, and I, I played on the same golf team with uh, John Schroeder and uh, high school, and we had another guy that could beat us both, basically. Uh, so it, it was quite a rude awakening, <laughs> you know, when you're when you're coming from a state where you thought you could almost beat everybody, and right. you can't even beat the same guys on your golf <laughs> team. So. You played in the Masters, Mike, in 67, 77, and 78. Uh, thoughts, memories, what was it like in Augusta back then? Well, the first year I played as an amateur, uh, Bobby Jones was still alive, and he came in to the banquet for amateurs, and he gave the most unbelievable speech I've ever heard. He was in a wheelchair, and he, he had uh, a lot of... Uh, problems with his hands and whatever, but uh, as far as his speaking, it was unbelievable, just mesmerizing. Mm. What did he so say? Do was, you remember? That was probably the, that was yep. probably the highlight of, of me being there. Other than other than I left early on, uh, uh, I missed the cut and left early on Saturday, and I, I could have just as well stayed there and watched Ben Hogan shoot thirty on the back nine, but I didn't. No kidding. <laughs> Yeah, man, that is some golf history there. Goodness, that's just crazy. Yeah. Do you do you cherish? Do you relish the fact that you were able to play it three times in in one of the most uh, uh, historic courses in the world? Well, I had uh, the course didn't totally suit my game. I, I kind of hit it left to right a little bit almost. And uh, back in those days, hitting a big hook and whatever was a premium there. So the, the course didn't really suit me as much as a course like Pebble Beach did or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think at Pebble Beach, I finished second, third, fourth, and seventh in the tournament there. And I, the course was set up where they had small greens and, and things, and it was about the length I was used to playing at it. And, and my iron game was my best part of my game, and, and those small greens, I had a real advantage. So as far as I had a lot of great memories playing in the Masters and all that, but, mm-hmm. but as far as the course, the course just didn't really suit my game too much. It must have suited at the U.S. Open. I mean, tied for 14th, tied for 27th, and two or three appearances. Give us a... Well, I, yeah. I finished eighth once, too, in 1982. Okay. 
when when Nicholas, when Nicholas beat Aoki. Wow. I think I finished eighth. Yeah. I played a bad last round when I finished twelfth at Atlanta Athletic Club. I think I shot seventy seven or seventy eight the last round. So, but I well, I was a good ball striker. Mm-hmm. Back then, and that's what you needed at the U.S. Open. Were the took ball and play and hit good iron shots. Yeah, if you were just a scrambler, you weren't going to last very long on some of those courses. So I take it the conditions were as tough back then as they try to make them today, and meaning that if you can maybe do one, two, three under, that's maybe what the USGA wants in a winner. Were they as tough back then as they are now? Well, the only way they can stop these guys is to make it tough. We, I remember Cherry Hills at the Open there when we were done playing. Andy North won and never hit it. He never hit a wood. He hit an iron off every tee uh, because the, the rough was so bad that you could only move the ball about forty yards hmm. sideways out of the rough. And I, I, we're in the locker room, and and uh, Weisskopf came in and asked asked Nicholas. If he ever hit a green after he missed a fairway, and Nicholas thought about it, and he says, "No, I didn't." And, and neither he nor Weisskopf hit a green when they missed a fairway. That's how bad it was. <laughs> but but you know, we weren't as big and strong and with as much speed as these kids are today. You know, mm-hmm. they've been all working out and whatever, and they, and they can get a lot more speed on the on the clubhead speed than we had. So, yeah, I think I saw in the stats you averaged maybe what two sixty, two seventy. Is that right, or is that or did I read that that's wrong? That's probably right. that's probably right. Okay, wow, those those times have changed. That's that's uh, right, but but that was probably reasonably long back then. Uh-huh. You know, that ball we played was kind of mushy and uh, and it curved a lot in the wind compared to the balls they have now. It, it's a different game. They've made it a power game, but I, I kind of enjoy watching Hoagie play because because he's a good iron player. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hits it in there close all the time where you see these other guys, these power players, they don't, they don't hit it that close. They yep. just uh, free the power fives and do the thing where he just kind of methodically wears them up. I think if he was really a great putter, I don't, I, that he, he'd win a bunch of times. Well, John Dahl taught him the swing. so And you know John Dahl. John Dahl taught a lot of people. John Dahl knows what he's doing. Mike Morley is a guest. This is Jeff Kopak. Just a couple of minutes left with uh, one of North Dakota's greatest golfers ever and will forever be one of North Dakota's greatest golfers. You were talking about the legends like Nicholas and those guys. Any fond memories of being in uh, in just general company with guys like that, Trevino or whoever? Well, I remember when I, had a, I was leading a tournament in Jacksonville going in the last round. In 1975, and I got paired with Arnold Palmer in a twosome in the last group. We both drove it around this lake on the first hole, and, and I hit a six iron about 12 feet, and nobody clapped. <laughs> and there were 40,000 people. And he hit a six iron over the back left of the green, and he went crazy. And I just turned around to my caddy. I said, I think I'm in the wrong group. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, uh, Arnie's Army, man, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I played with Nicholas in the last group twice at Pebble Beach. That was kind of different. <laughs> yeah, he was good to play with, though. Why is that? You know, well, he was he was friendly and Rudy. Yeah, and the first time I played with him, he shot forty five on the back. We were in the last group. He had a, he got the pulls. And things didn't go too well, but <laughs> but. Uh, 
I was trying to win the tournament. I ended up finishing second. You should you should have reminded him that you won way more tournaments in North Dakota than he did because I think he finished second or third in some amateur tournament that was held at Edgewood. So you got yeah, that on well, him. Well, that was back. Yeah, I, I think Jack Rule beat him. Or something. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Before I let I you go, I, go ahead. I haven't talked about golf for a long time. So. <laughs> well, this is uh, we we should get together and play. I, you know, there's a lot of snow in Minot. Are you guys going to be able to play here pretty soon? We uh, we got four feet, and uh, we're going to get another foot this weekend. Oh my gosh, it's really bad. We hit uh, I've hit balls three times, and now we're just buried in snow. But it's it's melting right now. If the, if we get through this weekend without getting hurt too bad, we'll. We'll probably be playing in a week and a half. Or so yeah. Before I let you go, Mike, do you miss the competition, the competitive juices, or you're okay with, with um, just playing? No, I don't miss it at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I was lucky. I got when I came back to North Dakota. I got in the oil business, and uh, that that's really competitive, and uh, it's it's worked out fine for me. It gave me something to do, and I'm still doing it. So that's awesome. So, I like it. Mike, I appreciate it. This has been special. Thank you. Yep. Nice talking to you, Jeff. You too. That's Mike Morley, multiple PGA winner, North Dakota native. This is Jeff Kopak. That'll do it for this edition of the Golf Show on 740 The Fan. Thanks again for Chris Larson for joining us in the first half of the show. Until next week, get them straight. Thanks for listening to The Golf Show with Jeff Kopak on 740 The Fan and 107.3 FM. Expect anything different? Presented to you by Michelob Ultra. Also brought to you by Fargo Park District Public Golf Courses, Barnesville Grocery, Moorhead Parks, Forest Hills Golf Course, and Wildflower Golf. Tune in next Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m. for another edition of the Michelob Ultra Golf Show with Jeff Kolpak on The Fan.